everyone, and welcome back to Let's Unpack That, your weekly podcast where this queer millennial and his friends unpack topics at the top of his mind through anxiety, depression, everything in between. And oh my God, it is the 46th episode of this podcast, and we are about to elect the 46th president of the United States. I hope. This is our election day podcast. We're not really sure when it's going to get released yet, but we're super, super excited to be able to do this. Um, as you guys know, this has been a full sprint from uh, like middle of September all the way through until now. Um, and we've obviously been working. We've been stressing. We've been volunteering. We've been donating. We've been phone banking, frantic donations, frantic fundraisers, kind of whatever we can do to drag out the vote for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. We really, really, really want to flip the Senate. Um And the polls are indicating that that is a possibility. And I think that it's okay to start with like a little bit of hope because I think that this podcast, like a lot of other podcasts, will segue very quickly into the anxieties we have around the election. So if you're not familiar with 538, we've talked about it on this podcast before. They're kind of the the gold standard for election forecasting, um, among a lot of other really great pollsters. They kind of do a lot of work to consolidate polls, and then they simulate 40,000 elections. They also gave Trump in 2016 a one in three shot of winning the election. So they were one of the few people that had him up that high. Um, so they are somebody that that I trust um, to give us good data on the election, not necessarily call. Right now, at the time that we are recording this, um, Joe Biden in 88 out of 100 scenarios wins the election. And Trump 11 in 100 scenarios wins the election. Um, and there is a one point chance that there could be a tie, which uh, I don't really want to get into. I don't think that I, I have the heart for that. That would be the most 2020 thing ever. And then in terms of the Senate, uh, Democrats continue to be favored to win the Senate. The polls have been incredibly steady. Um, in three out of four scenarios, the Democrats win control. And then one out of four scenarios, Republicans win control. So that is the proportional breakdown. And then in the House, as we've talked about here before, uh, Democrats have a, a, a pretty significant chance of of keeping control in the House. Uh, 97 in 100 uh, Democrats win control. So there's a lot of opportunity for um Democrats to to maintain or grow a majority in the House. So that's where the polls are. But as we all know, we are skeptics about polls, even with the improvements from 2016. But I just wanted to level set because um, I think it shows that our work is not done yet um, and we have a lot more to do. Um, so Erica, I would love to, to kind of start with you. Uh, welcome back to the pod. How are you feeling about the election? You know, it's so hard because... I think I'm afraid to be too optimistic because everything is in Joe Biden's favor. But as you said, as everyone said, we can't always rely on the polls to tell us the actual outcome. Um, They're just not perfect. So I've hoped the fact that Texas is a undecided state um, is very big. Um, The fact that there are counties throughout the country who have never voted Democrat, or at least Democrat, and how we see the party now is very crucial. Um, So I do have some hope, but again, I always have to meet that with skepticism solely for the purpose of my own mental health, just in case things do not turn out the way that everything is telling us that it could turn out. I agree. Um, Andrew, welcome back. How are you feeling about the polls? Just because of 2016, um, 
it does give me a lot of skepticism. Um, and also it, I'm kind of the opposite where I don't want too much hope in my life because that kind of makes me feel like when things do go wrong, um, I feel worse about it. So I kind of try to err on the side of expecting the worst. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. And it's so hard to say, right? I mean, I guess now at this point, things have honed in a little bit more. I didn't start paying attention to polls at all until the last week or two because, you know, people were reporting on polls for a year. And what good does that do? People were reporting that Joe Biden was the most likely candidate to beat Donald Trump when he announced his candidacy like two years ago. Like, like it is really ridiculous, like how long people are following the polls. I guess like I like to me, I think it was funny. I sent you the Cook political report last night and you were like, I'm not fucking looking at that. Like, you were like, don't, <laughs> don't put that in my inbox. Um, but Kirk, how are how are you feeling um, about the polls? What's your what's your anxiety level going into Election Day? I kind of agree with Erica. I mean, I think this morning I was texting you guys saying I woke up with a lot of anxiety today. This is how the next few days are going to be or were looking back at it. Um, Like you wake up every day anxious or not anxious. I think that it's a wave of emotions for the next few days going up into it. And I think now today being election day, I think it's going to continue for a few days after because we're not going to know right away, right? I think I go from optimistic and then I go down to the negative area. I think it goes back and forth. Um, but I'm trying to stay optimistic. Yeah, I'm kind of the same. And it's like, am I just so jaded from 2016? Or like, like I, I pride myself on somebody who like appreciates science and polling is somewhat of a science. Why do I deny it so much? Like, why why do I think polling is a hoax? Um, but I guess it's, it's just kind of interesting, um, you know, so I think it's important that we just continue to reflect and, and remind people that, you know, the 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 vote is very much live right now. Um, you know, we don't know how all of the reporting about um, early voting is going to impact the people who show up on election day. Are we going to get more people than we thought, or are people going to feel like it's already decided? You know, like there's just there's so many things in play. There's legal things in play with the. I mean, especially here in, in Pennsylvania where we are, there's shit going on with Wisconsin right now that could be resolved by the time that this podcast gets released. There's there's so many things. So we have an absolutely packed episode to unpack our election expectations. But one thing I'm really excited to do um, in this episode is actually chat with Isaac Saul or Ike Saul. Um, He is the founder of Tangle News. And if you follow me on Instagram, you know that I have been posting about Tangle so much. Uh, It is a bipartisan newsletter where Isaac does research on what the right is saying, what the left is saying, and then he offers his own take. Um, He also has an Instagram account where he shares uh, different like kind of mini breakdowns of his post too. So super excited to have him here today as well. So we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, um, we will unpack Tangle News. Super excited. All right, everyone, welcome back. Uh, we are here with somebody who I'm so excited is on our podcast today. I have been reading his stuff for a long time. I'm so happy that my friend Jules, the actual original host of this podcast, recommended uh, that I reach out to him and talk to him about politics, subscribe to his newsletter. Um, Isaac Saul, thank you so much for joining. Let's unpack that today. 
Thank you for having me. I am super stoked to be here. Uh, and after so many email exchanges, I'm glad to hear your voice and and do this live. It's super exciting. Yeah, me too. The next step is when we do our in-person podcast and, and talk about Tangle in person. I just think it is such a fascinating like idea. It's also something that I can't believe that like it took us so long to do as, as like a society. It took us so long <laughs> to do something like this. So I know Andrew reads Tangle and I know that Kirk and Erica are a little bit newer to it, but like, I know we would all just kind of love to kind of jump in and learn a little bit more from you. But I think I've been reading you now for like maybe three to four months. Andrew, how long have you been subscribed to Tangle? I subscribed to it back in early June when you first told me about it. So you were at least reading since then as well. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, I think it was around the time of like everything going on with the George Floyd protests is when I started reading it too. Cause like my friend was like, you have to read like what both sides are saying. And I was like, I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I was going to say, Isaac, like what, what kind of like drove you to start it or also like give your, give your intro too. like, what is it in your mind? You're the founder of it. You created this thing. So give us your pitch. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's interesting, I guess, you know, the the answer to those questions definitely go hand in hand. Um, so I, I grew up in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. I say this a lot in the newsletter. Uh, this is, you know, a county north of Philadelphia, a suburban area. It's one of the most divided counties politically in the United States and especially in Pennsylvania. It's considered a bellwether. So, you know, people say the way that Bucks County goes, Pennsylvania goes, the way that Pennsylvania goes, the election often goes. All that's to say, I grew up around a lot of very different political opinions. Um, and when I, I went to school in the University of Pittsburgh, Western PA, so then you get like a totally different version of like what I was used to, which was like the Philadelphia political scene. And then the Western Pennsylvania political scene is totally different. Uh, and I was a journalism major and I ended up after a stint living in Israel, my first job was at the Huffington Post. Um, so that's sort of where the story starts for me because, you know, you get a job at the Huffington Post, you're a Huffington Post reporter, a lot of assumptions are made about your political beliefs. And the reality of it for me was, you know, I took a job at the Huffington Post because they offered me a fucking job and like getting a job with an English degree is really hard. Right. Uh, and, you know, that was kind of like there was there was really nothing else to it. Um, but once I left, I realized that, you know, I was tagged from that moment on by most people who read my work like this guy is a liberal shill. Um, and I realized even when I did my best reporting that a lot of people would not believe anything I wrote based solely on the fact that for less than a year at, and at my very first job out of college, I worked at a, you know, a news website that had a reputation for being really liberal. Um, and it was made harder by the fact that my personal politics are actually like center left. So, you know, I did have some biases. Um, and, Ultimately, you know, I worked as a political reporter for five or six years. I freelanced for a lot of different places. I helped start a media company that focused on what I call like solutions journalism. And uh, we got bought a couple of years ago. And so we transitioned to all video like a lot of news companies did. And I had all this political chops that I wanted to keep 
sort of massaging. So I started a newsletter, Tangle, uh, about 15 months ago. And the basic concept is that I tell you what the main story of the day is, what the left's saying about the story, what the right's saying about the story, and then what my take is. And I'm doing this because right now in America, our country is living in two different realities. And I, I'm I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. I don't mean to say that in a way that's like, you know, uh, just like dramatizing the situation we're in. We are literally living in two different realities. I mean, I can tell you how somebody's going to vote based on what news organizations they consume. And that is like really not good. And also not something that has traditionally been true for our country. I mean, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, the press was viewed as having a much more authoritative voice on what the facts were. Um, and so I had this vision of like, I want to create something that readers across the political spectrum can trust. And Tangle, the format of Tangle was sort of what was born out of that. Um, and there are a lot of other things about it that I think sort of facilitate that trust. But the general thrust of it is like, I'm very transparent about where my biases are and what my experiences are and why I feel the way that I feel. And I'm also going out of my way to seek out the best arguments that are being made across the political spectrum. And so if you read Tangle, you are going to get exposed both to views that you really don't like and views that you really like every time you read it. And I think that's what makes it really unique in the political news landscape right now. Yeah, I, I think so, too. And that's one of the, the reasons that I loved your partnership with Ground News, which is like just such another good resource to help people see how different headlines are written. Like we all know that headlines are designed for clickbait. We all know that, you know, like certain news agencies will have more dramatic headlines than others. But like being able to compare the big stories and compare the real opinions on the stories and also look at even just headlines like I love so much like that transparency that you're bringing to the news environment because you're like you're right even when I went out to kind of start an Instagram in a way I was like I just want to talk about like the things that I feel are right and just and very quickly it became clear to me that it was very easy for me to be speaking in an echo chamber that people were seeking out information that confirmed what they already believe, not necessarily what challenged what they already believe. And I was talking to a friend today. I was like, am I stuck now? Like, how do I make this pivot? Like, how do I make sure that I can tell both sides a story? Because like, there is real valid arguments to some of the things that the Republicans say. And I, I say that with like a, an upset stomach, you know, because of how, you know, like how ingrained and in, in how much of a liberal shell I am. You created something that is clearly unique and you created something which is authentic because it is you and your opinions. But never when I read it, do I feel like I'm getting shouted at by somebody who hosts like the most liberal of liberal shows. So I don't feel like I'm reading something that was designed by somebody that I could ever call a liberal shill. So like what has kind of the response been like around sort of trying to tackle things from both sides? At the risk of sounding a little self-important, I think that the feedback that I've gotten to the newsletter and the concept is been the most rewarding experience of my professional career and of like any piece of work or project that I've participated in. I mean, I every single day hear from people who are like, I've been looking for this for 20 years and I'm so glad someone posted about this on Facebook. This is like exactly what I want 
because, you know, I know either A, I'm living in the echo chamber or B, you know, I have my uncle or my dad or my cousin or my girlfriend or my boyfriend who I can't communicate with about politics because we're just like on different planets now. And I hear that every day. And it's not just, you know, it's not just really thoughtful conservatives or really thoughtful liberals or like super high educated people. I hear that from people who are like, not have never engaged in political news before and are like, oh, this is something I can understand, a format I can get behind. I have readers who are diehard Trumpers who, I mean, like legitimate Trump sycophants who I, you know, disagree on many, many things. And they're like, you know, you're my favorite lib, dude. Like, I love this newsletter, you know, Uh, and and like, and and I get that every day. And it's like, and that, that part of it is super rewarding for me. Um, And I think just, you know, from a metrics standpoint, uh, it's self-evident, like the the newsletter is growing at like 15% a month. Um, You know, I'm going to break 11,000 subscribers soon. It's read in pretty much every national newsroom in America now by other reporters who have come across it on Twitter. It's read in every state in America, 30 countries outside the U.S. I mean, it's, it's catching on. It's getting a lot of traffic. Um, the articles are getting like a hundred thousand views a week and, you know, and I'm doing that without sensationalizing anything. I'm doing that without ads. I'm doing that without clickbait. That's just like totally organic. This is, you know, I send this to 10,000 people and they all tell five friends about this thing that they read. And, uh, you know, to me, that's like the, the, the sign of like a really healthy, ecosystem and audience that's growing. So I'm super excited about it. Yeah. Isaac, you do this five times a week. I get one from you five days a week because I'm part of like the tier of subscribers, right? Where it's like super low, super affordable for me to be able to, it's like $1 basically for a, for a newsletter, you know, that comes on Fridays for anything plus the the free version. And you can totally explain that way better than I could if I just fucked that up. What is it like putting it together every single day? What is like the day or the evening? Like, are you just consumed with like 500 tabs open or do you have like an organized process? process? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I have a full-time job as an editor and uh, I don't sleep very much and I'm working <laughs> like 15 or 16 hours a day right now to do both. I do have very clear long-term plans of doing this full-time. I mean, for me, I want to build a, a media company. I, I, my goal is to have a team and to bring other people on to expand this thing. So the process is I I try and give myself space from the news and I just hearing you guys do this intro is is funny for me um in like a sick way because I'm like oh these people are all fucking like I am uh like you guys are having this anxiety and you're consumed by this and you're in it and I very much share in that experience I mean regardless you know just divorce from what I want to happen the the feeling of not wanting to miss any news, like not having anything slip through the cracks for the newsletter is very anxiety inducing for me. Um, But, you know, I I basically have five or six political newsletters that are like go-to sources for me. The first thing I do when I get up in the morning is I open the Wall Street Journal, um, which is very intentional uh, because my politics are center left and I recognize the Wall Street Journal is kind of a center right newspaper. I try to make the first thing 
you know, the first impression I get of the landscape come from that position to sort of balance out where I'm holding. Uh, and then it's like New York Times, Washington Post, um, and sort of just perusing, you know, tonight I'll do that before I go to bed. Tomorrow morning I'll see how the homepage has changed. And then it's kind of branching out from there, um, you know, reading through the the big news stories, the the things that are like sort of on the back page to make sure I'm not missing anything. And then going into the opinion section, then going to like your Huffington Post, your Fox News, your National Review, your Vox, the, the sort of like intellectual left and right. Um, and then sort of the last thing I'll do is, you know, begrudgingly open Twitter and get ready to be screamed at by everyone who's freaking out. And that is like what I do to get to my baseline of like, okay, here are like the three or four things everybody's talking about today. And then seeking out a topic that I think is the main story. What's, what's like the thrust of the day. And also something that I haven't given a really strong deep dive to yet. So, you know, I try to keep the newsletter fresh because it's five days a week. Fortunately, we have a president who's very good at keeping the news fresh right now. So that part of the job is not particularly difficult. It's exposing myself to like a huge spectrum of views. And then once I decide what the topic is, like very intentionally going to those sites and the columnists and the voices, the podcasts, whatever that I know are really partisan and kind of hearing what their takes are. So I get an understanding of the arguments people are making. Um, and that is how I do like the, what DC is talking about, what the left saying, what the right saying. And then, um, the other thing that's really intentional is I just always write my take last. Um, I don't, um, I, I don't form my opinion until I've like completed that part of the newsletter. And so that's usually the longest part of it is like, do I want to pick a side here? Do I want to, like, am I convinced by one side's argument over the other? Um, am I, am I seeing something that's not being said that, you know, is really a genuine fresh take that I'm going to bring to this because I can't believe nobody's talking about this angle of it. Or am I just going to say like, you know, I, I see both sides and I can't really like come down hard in one direction. Um, and that's kind of just like the day-to-day process. So it's a lot of reading and a lot of research and, uh, quite a good deal of writing too. That is very intense. Uh, <laughs> and it's actually pretty inspiring because like the way that you describe it, you sound like you could be anybody who consumes the news, I guess I would say. Like you sound like you're just somebody who's trying to make sense of everything. It, I mean, untangle it, right? You get that from what you're saying and describing. So what I enjoy like most is sometimes like when you when you don't come to a conclusion, like maybe you'll just sort of offer like some words of wisdom. Like I, I forget when you did that recently, whether it was, you know, with Amy Coney Barrett or, or, or something else that was going on. You just talked about certain things that you're like, listen, this is like cut and clear. There's no this side or this side. I like appreciate that because it cuts through a lot of the bullshit that. I feel I read in the news of people either catering to one side or the other or catering to the middle, which sometimes is also equally as dangerous or frustrating as a reader. So I'm curious, like what have been some of your favorite topics to write about or some of the more popular ones that you've wrote about, like ones where you get, you know, when you hit send, you're going to get like hundreds of responses or ones that you just like send this and you're like, I am fucking proud to have written that. 
Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I I haven't put a ton of thought into that. Just hearing you ask the question, the first thing that comes to mind for me is the piece that I wrote about Breonna Taylor when the grand jury's ruling came down. Um, because that's exactly what the one I was talking about was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, because you said you just fucking moved me to tears. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, thank you. And and I I think like for me, that was, there are like these moments uh, that occur in our history and, you know, as a country and also these political moments that occur that are so fraught and there's so much noise. And I do feel like I've created something where when I sort of drop the hammer like that, the readers who don't agree with me or maybe wouldn't come to the same conclusion they normally do are very moved by the position that I lay out. And I was really moved personally by the responses I got to that edition because I took a very left position. I mean, I, I, you could call it left, whatever. I think it's a, just a decency American position. Like this woman shouldn't have died. These people are clearly responsible for this. Like we could talk about all the fine details of this case and like the really small stuff and the arguments about the law and how police are trained and whatever. And it's like, no, like you don't just because you have a badge doesn't mean you can kick someone's door in and start fucking shooting. Like that's not how it works in this country, period, end of discussion. And like, I'm not going to tolerate an argument where we try and reframe this conversation is like, oh, maybe she deserved it or well, you know, it was, it was bad luck, but you know, this is how it happens sometimes and that's life. And um, I heard from a lot of people when I wrote that edition who were like, you know, conservative or pro-police or whatever, who were like, hey, man, like I, I really appreciated you being honest and like I loved your perspective and it gave me a lot of pause and it made me think and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and I think I swayed people by taking that position because I had earned a lot of people's trust up to that point. That's one of the pieces that I'm really proud of. And I think like, you know, police reform, generally speaking, compared to everything else, all my other political views, that's probably the thing I'm like most left on. Although I will say it used to be a conservative position before the, you know, the culture war that has been ushered in in the last 10 or 15 years. I mean, there was a time in our country when keep the government off my front lawn, like, fuck the police was not a big liberal talking point. It was more like a libertarian conservative talking point. And it's a shame that they've sort of lost their way in that respect. Uh, but, you know, I I was very happy about the response I got to that. And I was happy because I gave an honest opinion. And I felt like I changed some hearts and minds. Um, and then, you know, anytime I write anything that's like directly focused on Trump, I know that I'm going to get a huge blowback you know, this week I covered all the endorsements that were happening. Like I did a special edition that was just like, what are the endorsements out there for Trump or Biden? And my take was like, it's not my job to tell you who to vote for. I'm not going to do what all these other media companies are doing. I'm not going to endorse a candidate. And I got a ton of positive feedback. I mean, the positive feedback to that was like 50 to one, but the emails that I got that were in dissent were like very, very angry. And a lot of people unsubscribed and stuff because they were like, all liberals, you know, how could you not say that Trump is so dangerous and whatever? And, you know, part of me gets the argument, but the other side is like, I'm any, if I were to take that position, I'm going to alienate half my readers or whatever it is, maybe 30% that are really conservative. And they're also going to use that 
as an excuse to dismiss anything I say going forward. You know, I think anybody who's read the newsletter for any period of time can sort of deduce where I stand on the election. And I don't need to just like make some broad endorsement um, that will just like alienate people anyway. Um, so, you know, those are the, those are the moments when you know you're going to get like a lot of feedback, I suppose. Yeah. That was actually one of the things that I found like so interesting. I, I and I, I've done this with a couple of the ones recently as it's gotten closer and my anxiety's gotten higher. Like just as I read the left and I read the right one, you've made me more in tune with the news in general because you are encouraging me, I think, to read some of these things for myself. So in a way, like you said, you can predict how people are going to re- are going to vote. I like I want to get to the point where I can kind of like predict how certain groups are going to respond. Um, of course, I am not there. Um, this podcast is famously run by a bunch of people who are not experts and just enjoy talking shit. But I just to me, feel like it, it. I was like scrolling through your letter and being like, fuck, what is he going to say? What is he going to say? What is he going to say? And I was like, you know what? You said the perfect right thing because with the way that Tangle is designed, to me it was there's the right and the left. And for the past 15 months, people who have read Tangle have gotten the right and the left and they've gotten also your take. If they need an endorsement from you, I think they missed like the whole point. I'm sure somebody could write a dissertation on what I just said. And I'm sure that they wrote a dissertation on your lack of an endorsement. But to me, it just, (laughs) it was, it was so interesting. So like, I'm, I, I appreciate you kind of sharing that experience as to why you wrote it the way that you did, because it, it, to me, it didn't feel like if you were familiar with the newsletter that you needed to take a clear stand either way, because you have given people the facts and you've given people multiple perspectives for them to make the decision themselves. I know it, whether it alienates readers or not, to me, it was like, I don't, I don't need Isaac to tell me how to feel like I was like, he's already shared with me enough for me to form my own opinion, which is, I think, like you said at the beginning, it's dangerous when you think about that people only look at one news source for their information, because then you know a lot about them from that. Yeah. And I will say one of the things that I do that makes Tangle unique is that I share sort of dissenting opinions at the top of the newsletter. Most days, I like the first thing you see when you open the newsletter is reader feedback. And usually it's people writing in with sort of like counter arguments to my take. And people love that. Actually, Paul, I think you have had your your own feedback shared in Tangle maybe once or twice. Um, <laughs> I <have>. and, <laughs> yeah, but I appreciate your feedback and it was really thoughtful. And so it's like, all right, I'm going to share that. And so I shared the feedback of somebody saying today to just sort of have some fun. Somebody wrote in really angrily and told me they unsubscribed because I basically because I wouldn't endorse Biden explicitly. And so I shared that feedback today. And uh, I mean, I got like a huge influx of emails of people saying like, I'm so glad that you didn't endorse anyone. People on the left and the right, like totally across the political spectrum, just saying like, you know, I'm so tired of news organizations telling me what to think. And and that's exactly why I didn't do it. And so it, it totally affirmed my position and it made me more confident in what I decided to do because the feedback was so positive. That's awesome. So uh, on that note, who are you voting for? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, how can people, you know, subscribe to Tangle? How can they learn more about you? We'll, we'll link anything in the episode notes. And then I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your vision, too, of where you see this thing going. Anybody who wants to subscribe can go to tangle.substack.com, which 
I understand is not the easiest um, URL. I'm in the process of changing it to readtangle.com, which will be a lot easier to, to plug to people. Um, but tangle.substack.com, it's, it's hosted on a newsletter platform called Substack, hence the really crappy URL. You can also find us on Instagram at Tangle News, and you can find us on Twitter under the same handle. I think long-term for me, the vision is I want to have hundreds of thousands of subscribers. So it's a really influential piece of political news that people are getting in their inbox every day. Um, I, I'd like to have a team. I'd like to expand. I'd like to bring in you know, some people who sort of have like different political views than I do that can share in creating the newsletter to you know pick up on my blind spots. Um but frankly, I don't want to change a whole ton. I mean, I think what I have is a really strong product. I'd like to expand into the podcasting world and do more of this and maybe a YouTube channel or whatever. Um, but for me, like the heart of it will always be the newsletter. Um, and once we're big enough, hopefully next year, I'd like to take this live and do some events, which I think would be really interesting. I, I have a definitely have a vision and a dream of bringing you know, people from different political backgrounds to the same setting to sit on stage and debate topics where I'm moderating and people can sit in the audience and and hear opposing perspectives. I think Tangle readers would be really interested in that and would probably buy tickets to something like that and travel to come see something like that. And, you know, sort of like the inverse of all the political events that happen now, which is just like a bunch of people reinforcing all the same views to each other. So, you know, that's sort of where my head's at. Right now, I'm just trying to make it to Tuesday without keeling over and dying. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, long term, I, I hope it just keeps growing and more people keep reading. And, you know, I want to reshape the the way people get their news because I think the way people get it right now is really broken. I don't think how people interact with their politics and discuss politics in America is good or healthy at the moment. And I'd really like to be a part of solving that. Awesome. Oh yeah. Go ahead, Erica. Yeah. So I know, you know, when you look at some bigger news outlets, they tend to branch outside of state politics. Um, So whether that be thought pieces on, you know, a new album that comes out, something that's more based on arts cooking. Is there any plan to kind of expand outside beyond that or kind of keep it within this political sphere? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I've had quite a few readers who have written in who are like, dude, I want you to like tangle the new iPhone. Like, tell me what sucks and what's good, you know? Um, and I get some of that feedback sometimes. Uh, I It's hard for me to imagine doing that. I think mostly because this is just like where I think my expertise lies. Um, when I think about the expansion, I typically imagine it being like, a Tangle Europe or a Tangle Canada or a Tangle Mexico or, you know, sort of finding a journalist that I trust in those different countries who understand the government and politics there the way I understand U.S. government and U.S. politics and can sort of transfer my model into there. Um, but you are another person I will have to tally as someone who's been like, this would be really cool in a different space, uh, which I haven't thought of much and I think is, uh, frankly, a really good idea. And so I don't know, maybe I should. I don't know. Do you think I should? Is that what I should do? Is that how to, is that how to win this thing? I mean, you know, I, I think it is something where 
we don't know what our political landscape is going to be a few years down the line. You know, it could get to the point where we're much more polarized or whoever comes in after Biden or Trump. I don't know. (laughs) I'm being an optimist in this one, but whoever comes in next might kind of get us back to that political equilibrium. And I will say that I was not politically engaged until the first time I could vote, which wasn't until 2016. But, you know, sometimes politics drops off. And I think right now it's we're in such a landscape where it's such a thriving environment for people to hear about politics and for people to truly care about perspective. But you know, we're all fickle humans. And so I could see down the line, people are kind of like, well, I want to know what like Kanye West is doing. Actually, that's now political too. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me. Excuse me. (laughs) Everything is politics. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a good point. And that, that is something too I'm thinking about is like, you know, if Biden wins and People are just like, all right, sweet, the show's over. I'm going to tune out. I mean, it's going to be a challenge for me to keep people engaged. And I'll just say, I mean, uh, because I'm I'm going to make this pitch in the newsletter after the election. So you guys will see a more formal version of this if you're subscribed. But um, I do think it's tremendously important that people don't look away if Trump loses. Uh, it Like, first of all, Biden might not be the candidate that you think he is right now. I'll just say that in a soft way. Uh, But second, it's extremely important what our government is doing. I mean, if you go to the store and buy something, you are paying sales tax on it that is going to the government and they're using that money for things. And I think everybody in America should care about how the government spends their money at the very least. Um, And, you know, if you're if you come from that starting point, then there are are all sorts of laws and legislations and regulations in the country that apply to you, regardless of who you are. And especially if you are someone who's a minority, if you are someone who's a member of the LGBTQ community, if you are somebody who is an immigrant, I mean, then it's just like the scale of how it impacts you goes up and up. So um, I hope people stay engaged. Erica, I totally agree with your assessment that they're probably not going to. Uh, But my goal is to, you know, try and keep people dialed in regardless of what happens in the election, because, um, you know, frankly, I think it's one of the good things about Trump uh, is that like he's a reality TV star and he has made U.S. government and politics a must watch TV show. And um, there are a lot of things that are horrifying about that. But I think a more engaged populace that is voting in record numbers and watching presidential debates in record numbers and doing all those things is actually really good and healthy and important. And I I hope that keeps up. I completely agree. Isaac, seriously, thank you so much for joining the podcast. It was so great to have you. Um, Again, this is something that I personally endorse, even though sometimes I read what Republicans are saying and my stomach does backflips. But it helps me have tougher conversations with my mother. It helps me have tougher conversations with the other Republicans in my life. It helps me understand the different world that these people live in. And I do think that in order for us to have some level of progress or some level of calmness at some point in the future, whether that be January or 12 January from now, we have to start putting ourselves in each other's shoes because it will help us 
learn a little bit more about what they think and what motivates them to get involved. So seriously, Isaac, thank you so much. I cannot endorse Tangle enough. It's been so helpful for me as I go through this stuff when I think about what I want to post or how I want to post it or how I want to reach a Republican or how I want to call out a Democrat for their hypocrisy. So seriously, like, thank you so much for joining the pod. I hope that everybody subscribes. It was great to have you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, It was awesome being on. Um, I hope everyone survives election day. I have to confess when you guys were all talking about the polling odds and the 538 thing, I just looked something up to give you all a nice dose of anxiety before I go, which is that 11% is the same odds of it being a rainy day in Los Angeles. So not that uncommon, I guess you might say. It could could happen. It could totally happen. So I hope you guys all sleep really well tonight. You know, have a great weekend. You need to unsubscribe from this table stuff. (laughs) How do I do that? Who invited him? Who invited him? (laughs) That was awesome. Thank you for that. (laughs) All right, guys. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, take care. everyone welcome back we are super excited to have this segment of the episode i can't believe that we're doing this episode um we are talking our election day expectations and that means a lot of things um so it's about the states that we're looking at it means what we're doing on election night how we're treating election night what we're looking in the media coverage there's so many things and every podcast that wants to be relevant is doing probably a better version of this but you know what i kind of think that our version is more fun so um a couple things to think about when you think about your expectations going into election night most states will not have complete results Only eight states expect to have at least 98% of their results. 22 states and D.C. allow postmark ballots to arrive after Election Day. So that's already more than half the states are allowing ballots to arrive after the election. In addition to that, some of the key states, the ones that will decide the election, have already expressed that the counts could take several days. So that's Michigan. That's Pennsylvania. We still, at this point that we're recording this podcast, don't know exactly what's going on with Wisconsin. Uh, They're hung up in the Supreme Court right now trying to figure out what ballots count and what ballots don't. Um, But other key states have said that they can count them quickly. So that's Arizona, that's Florida, that's North Carolina. All three of those, if they are won by Joe Biden or by Donald Trump, will give us a great indication of where the state is going. But with so many people voting by mail, 30 states allow voters to fix their ballot or cure their ballot to make sure that everything was exactly as as it was supposed to be. So I say this because we are in for a long haul. There is no point. And, you know, waiting up all night to find out the results of the election, even though all of us are going to do it, (laughs) there is no point to try to host a huge party and hope that, you know, you can have a giant celebration in the streets when Biden wins. It's really important to temper your expectations 
and go into tonight knowing that the media is going to try to pull every little thing and every little county and make every little thing tell a story because that's what they do. They try to stay relevant. So when you're thinking about tonight, when you're thinking about your expectations, we wanted to help you lower them, but also recognize that our anxiety is going to be so high. And all of those things that I just mentioned, we're going to be doing exactly those. (laughs) So it makes no sense for us to tell you to do this when we are going to be absolute hypocrites. We are solely trying to help you protect yourself and the people that you love and your own mental health. But I want to turn to everybody else right now. So I want to talk about our final voting plan. And I know that sounds wild to talk about on election day, but just in case somebody is debating voting and they are listening to this episode, I do want to make sure that we have a voting plan for everybody who is listening to this. So Kirk, let's start with you. What is your voting plan? So as of right now, being a week before almost, I have not voted yet. My plan has been from day one to vote in person because I have been, I feel like everything that I've been absorbing has kind of been like, if you can vote in person, vote in person. Um, that's still my plan. So as of right now, that someone's listening to this, are hopefully already voted or I'm standing in line waiting to vote because I did get a mail-in and I'll bring it with me that day anyway because you're supposed to. Anyone listening who got a mail-in and they haven't sent it in, but they want to vote in person, don't forget to bring the mail-in vote with you. I'm, I'm pretty sure, unless I'm wrong, that you have to bring it with you. In Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, okay. On election day. If you're not going to use it, you have to bring it. Yeah. Okay. If not, you have to cast what's called a provisional ballot, right, which right. is counted a week later. Right. So that's another thing that can throw this shit into chaos. So my plan as of right now is still to go in person and bring that with me. Um, there's like an inkling of me that might drop it off before election day because if I don't want to wait in line, which I might end up doing just because I feel like now that everything I'm absorbing is people saying, just go vote as soon as you can. Um, so either I had this past Saturday or I have today and standing in line, one or the other, because I think from the beginning, I'd always thought, you know, I, I can vote in person. I feel comfortable doing it. And I wanted to do it on election day, but due to, you know, all the counting and stuff, getting in as early as possible, I think is super important too. Um, so one or the other, so that those are my voting plans slash I've done one of them slash you all Hopefully, if you're listening to this and there's still time in the day to vote, um, have done one or the other. Yeah, and that's a good summary of the complications that a lot of people are feeling, too. Andrew, what about you? What's your voting plan? So at the time of recording, I also haven't voted yet, but we are recording this on Wednesday. And on Saturday, I am going to take my mail-in ballot, which I have received, and I'm going to put it into the official Dropbox over at the government building here in Quakertown. That's awesome because you'll get the email confirmation that it was recorded too. Yes, and, and I know that the lines here are going to be crazy and I don't want to deal with that. And COVID cases are on the rise again and I do not want to be near that. So I did not get the ballot in time where I felt I was comfortable mailing it back. And I'm sure as hell not mailing it back now. Smart. But- I would feel much better about just taking it and putting it in that box myself and, and seeing it go in that box. And luckily the box is at an actual government building. Not one on the corner in Philly that are fake. It's, it's not some random thing that some, yeah, some dude slapped up a sign on the side of it that says ballot box. Good call. And if you guys are listening to this, you know, and you're like, well, you're only talking about Philly. It's like, well, yeah, because we all live here and Pennsylvania is most likely to be the tipping state. So what happens today in Pennsylvania is hugely important. So again, like if Kirk knows that he can commit to waiting in that line, then he's going to do that. But he has to have his mail-in ballot with him. 
Andrew's going to say, I'm going on Saturday because I know that I can drop it off. And then I know I'll get the recording before election day. If I don't get the email recorded before election day, I will march down to those polls and cast a provisional ballot. You know, like, so it depends where you are. It's really important to know where you are in this process so that you can charge forward. If you are getting ready to wait in a line today, buckle the fuck up. But Erica, what's your voting plan? So I have actually already cast my ballot. Um, I dropped it off at the local election center by my house, which was an incredible experience because they had three DJs. (laughs) And uh, I live in a primarily um, Latinx community. So um, they're playing reggaeton and then they're playing some hip hop and then some mixes. So it was a quick and easy process. And I just went in, um, showed them my ID to confirm, you know, my information and then dropped off my ballot. I got an email the next day, actually, which was I was a little surprised about confirming that my ballot has been received. And then I got another email saying that um, my ballot was accepted uh, on Tuesday. So I've officially voted. I don't have to worry about anything on Election Day. But for those of you who have not gone in in person, um, I think something to really focus on is to utilize the resources available. So whether that be a sample ballot um, or just, you know, whatever jargon is out there on the Internet. And there's plenty for everyone's states um, and individual counties. And just, you know, make sure that you're prepared for the day of. And then also, if you are going to drop your ballot off, um, just take that extra three or four minutes to make sure that you've done everything right. You know, you've put it in the security envelope and then you've signed the envelope itself. Um, I've heard of some places allowing you to um, sign the envelope if you forgot. I've heard of some places not letting you do that. And um, if you are voting in person, be cognizant of what you're wearing. Apparently now, if you're wearing anything that could be related to BLM, they could turn you away at the polls. Yeah. I mean, just for the fact of waiting for that long and then getting turned away for T-shirts a lot. So, um, you know, just wear something plain, simple. Yeah, I agree. I was going to say that's one of those things, Erica, that's hugely important is making simple mistakes. Like just avoid as many simple mistakes as you possibly can. I think regardless of where you're voting, whether it's in Pennsylvania or another state, um, make sure you have or are aware of your voter ID. Make sure you have or are aware of your signature. Make sure you have or are aware of the time that your polls open and close. Like all of these little things add up and also know your rights when you're going to vote. So you have a right to cast a provisional ballot in almost all 50 states. You have a right to stay in line if you were there before the polling location closed. Like just make sure that you go into this being fully prepared to number one, argue with people that are election officials and also defend your right to vote. Like that is the most constitutional thing we have. So show up with your face mask. Don't wear a political t-shirt. Like if you are doing a mail-in ballot, just walk up and drop it off and then wait for that email. Like, again, there's so many nuances to this and it's so frustrating that we even have to talk about this because it just should be easier. But 
you want to make sure you're ready to stand in the line. You know, you have boots, you have a jacket, you have a sweater, you have a hat, you have gloves, you have hand warmers. Or if you're in a hot climate, you have sunscreen, you have an umbrella, you have, you know, things that can protect you from the elements there. Maybe you have a jacket in case it does get cold when the sun goes down. Like all of these things, you know better than we could possibly tell you on this podcast. But it's just so important to make your plan. Um and I'll make sure that I reiterate that there is an election protection hotline. So if you are intimidated at the polls, if you walk up and they don't have your ballot, they don't have it recorded, but you have confirmation of your registration status, you know, all of those things are hugely important. So know that you have the election protection hotline. You can report any issue that you feel threatens your right to vote today. So please make sure that you do it. And that already got me anxious. So I guess I'll segue to our next question. Erica, what are you doing to reduce before your you do, Oh, Before you do, like, this is why we are voting for Biden, because there's a million issues out there, right? And some people are single-issue voters, but we are supposed to live in some blend of a republic and a democracy, and we're supposed to be in a free society. The fact that there has to be a hotline for voter intimidation is not a feature of a free society. This should be issue number one. This should be the one issue that gets undecided people out to the polls. The fact that this voter suppression happens. Like if you can't agree on any of the other issues, you should absolutely agree on this. Yeah, I saw it's interesting. I saw a tweet. Um, yesterday or today that was pretty viral and it was just like a quick one hitter, but it was something like, it was like, if it comes down to nothing, there's one party that's encouraging people to vote. And there's one party that is literally telling people not to vote. Or today the president said that he's trying to make sure that the courts will not allow for votes after that are not counted after November 3rd, which is just a crazy statement. Cause that's always been a thing. Um, to now just say that is to Paul's point, that's why I make sure you, if you did mail it and make sure you got it, someone, something saying that it was confirmed an email, um, because they're trying to now, you know, play this game of if you don't vote by November 3rd or, or the vote didn't get there on time, um, which is not a thing in this country. Um, but I do agree with you. It is Andrew, it is, if you want to care about this country as a, which is a big conservative thing, right? Caring about the country. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a party literally telling you to vote and one telling you not. I think that should be easy enough decision, right? This should not be a partisan issue at all. Really, honestly, it should be a core conservative value. Yep. Yep. That's something that they should be fighting for. It's insane. Totally agree. That was so well said, guys. Thank you for saying that. Erica, my jaw is clenched. <laughs> um, <laughs> my butthole is even tighter. Oh, and good for you. <laughs> it's honestly <laughs> impressive at this point in your life. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <sighs> So, with my tight jaw and my tight butt, I want to talk a little bit about election anxiety. I think we are all experiencing it right now, even though you and I, Erica, have already voted. Like, 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 like what else do we have to be anxious about? We have done all that we can, with the exception of the fact that, yeah, we're worried about the results. But so, what are you going to do that's going to reduce your anxiety? On election night, like, what is your plan to help yourself? Um, I am going to pretend that I will be in the state of California or wherever weed is legal on election night, and I'm going to get real high. Um, which is actually what I did in 2016, and it failed me pretty heavily. <laughs> but um, no, in in all reality, I'm going to surround myself with the things that bring positivity in my life. 
um, have my support group be someone's support group because, again, election night, I think, is going to convince a lot of people that the election went one way when that could very well likely not be the case. It's important to stay grounded in that and to understand that what we're seeing on November 3rd is not indicative of, you know, who's going to walk into office January 2021. I think kind of keeping that level head is going to be important, but also just, you know, we have our group chat. I will literally be up everyone's butthole, no matter how tight they may be. And um, (laughs) I am just going to you know, probably air out my anxieties, which for me is um, how I get through things is by talking through them. And um, again, try to keep that practical head. I literally made myself a mantra for November 3rd and just be prepared for the craziness, be prepared for the new cycle over the next, I'd say few weeks, maybe even going through to December. Um, And just remember that no matter what, we still need to work after everything is said and done because we need to hold Biden as accountable as we do Trump. And if not, honestly, even more so because he is supposed to be this quote unquote saving grace that he's kind of framed himself as. And we need to hold him to that standard. Totally agree. Yeah. Andrew, what about you? What are you going to do to reduce your election anxiety? Well, I took off on Wednesday. So I'm just going to get good and drunk that night, which is, uh, of course, like we're not going to know that night, but I'm not going to not be able to watch the coverage and the coverage is going to be insane. And it doesn't matter if you're watching right wing coverage or left wing coverage. It's it's a fucking circus no matter who you watch and it's that way on on purpose and it's a legitimate criticism of the media that they're they're just going to make it as sensational and as insane as possible they treat it like a fucking wwe event and it's just insanity but i'm gonna watch anyway because i'm a dumb fuck (laughs) so yeah i'm just i'm just gonna drink and watch and if it's not a landslide we're not gonna know but even then I feel like it's it's going to be contested. So I think that's a very good point. Number one, it's like we are so used to watching Wolf Blitzer and the guy who does the analytics for him, the key race alert, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're so used to him zooming in on counties and being like, I can still hear him in my ear being like, yeah. Miami-Dade County, there's not a lot of votes that Hillary can pick up here. Blah, blah, blah County, there's not a lot of votes for Hillary to pick up here. You know, I'm not going to say that she lost Florida because we can't call it yet, but the votes are limited. That can't happen this year. I mean, it can't happen in the same way. Like, we're so used to being like, is she going to get those 20 from this one? And then they're going to get from this one. These counties will never think of for another two years until the midterms. But like, we are so used to that, that we have to, if we watch the news cycle and if the media doesn't change the way they cover it, We have to go into that with not rose-colored glasses. We have to go into it with the whatever the opposite of shards of glass in our eyes. Um, We have to go into it in a different way. But Kirk, what are you going to do to reduce your election anxiety? Well, I think, and this might be not a popular answer, but 
I remember four years ago and I had no anxiety. I don't know if anybody remembers if they did or not. Maybe, maybe I had a little bit, but I remember it being so cocky in my head, so down with like, this is going to be amazing. It was with friends. It was like, there's no way in hell. This is a joke. Oh, you know, the polls were the polls, <laughs> but, um, I think I'm going to allow myself to be a little bit anxious because I don't want to sit there and watch the way I watched last time where like, I remember he like, he, he got Florida and I was like, fuck it. He can have, it was early. I was like, fuck it. He can have Florida. Like whatever, we'll still get this. And like, we didn't. And then we things started slipping. Um, so I think I'll allow myself to be anxious a little bit. And then also another thing I'm going to be doing is paying close attention to the Senate races, maybe even more so in, in them in the moment. Cause I think that will cause me to be a little less anxious because something that's just as important, potentially more important if Trump does win, because I think there's a lot of area of victory as of right now that we can see that is a little, not saying definite, but a little bit more definite than Trump and Biden or Biden beating Trump. Um, so that's another way just to diversify my anxiety maybe is to um, watch other races that hopefully will go in the right direction. So yeah, I, I think that it'll be allowing myself to feel how I'm feeling, but then also, and I think one of the things I wanted to mention, I was thinking of it the other day when I was thinking about kind of what you guys were just saying about, um, you know, Wolf Blitzer and like sitting there and listening to everybody and how they just could go straight to, is this red or is this blue? Um, I think one of our guests who we had before, Conrad had said that I wish that they wouldn't have colors or have it. I forget what he said. It was something like that where he was like, keep everything gray until it's final, gray, I think. Final. Yeah. yeah it's, it'll be more so that, I mean, sure. Last time it was pretty apparent, I guess at a certain hour, um, but we don't think that'll be the case due to all the voting. And um, I think that they should do that to kind of lessen anxiety um, to not make it so definite. But I think there will be a moment of anxiety um, if Trump starts claiming a victory before there is any apparent victory from either parties. Yeah. I, I just think anxiety is inevitable that day. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so funny. Like I'm thinking about where will I be six days from now when I'm thinking about what I'm going to do to reduce my election anxiety, because that's how close we are. Like I started really getting into politics like three years ago and it has been a pure fucking build to this moment it was a build to the midterms but it was really a build to this moment and i feel like the things that i need to do to reduce my anxiety are kind of like what all of you guys said (laughs) is it getting high is it drinking is it watching the senate races i feel like for me i'm going to be watching the senate races like i want to see mark kelly win arizona I want to see Cal Cunningham win North Carolina. I want those two wins. And then I feel like I'll be able to go to sleep at some hour. But also (laughs) like Andrew, I took off the next day just to make sure that I'm taking care of myself and my mental health. So to me, if it's tonight, you know, and you guys are sitting in where our shoes are right now, where we are trying to put ourselves six days into the future, like... The things to reduce anxiety are to look at the most positive races. And that is Arizona. That is um, Georgia. That is potentially Maine. Um, There's a lot of things that you can look at right now in the Senate races that will make you feel really good about how Americans are voting. But on the opposite side, what are the things we know we're going to do that are going to add to our anxiety? What are the behaviors that we can recognize within ourselves that are going to just cripple us? Like, 
We talked about them a little bit, I think. Like for me, I know one thing that I'll be doing is I'll probably have on CNN. I'll probably be tracking every vote that comes into Pennsylvania. Every single one. And that is not good for my election day anxiety. (laughs) But that is what I feel to me is like, this is in my control. I'm in Pennsylvania. I know a lot of people here. I've been sharing a lot of things here. Regardless of however many people follow me on Instagram, Pennsylvania is me. And like, I know that that's irrational because there's millions of people that live here. But like, it's like, I had control over this state. So I'm going to look at every single time they make an announcement about a new precinct that's reporting in Pennsylvania. And it's going to be happening for days. And so I know that that will add to my anxiety. So I'm hoping I can temper that with other things. But Kirk, what are you going to be doing that's going to add to your anxiety? I think definitely that. But um, (laughs) I think I'll be on Twitter and I'll be wanting to jump off of my roof because I'll be seeing tweets. Well, one of one thing I do do, and then you guys know this kind of, is I'll um, look at very conservative figureheads and their social accounts, and I'll be doing that. Hopefully, I'll be doing it for days to come after he loses, knock on wood, and be really relishing in that. But I think in the moment, I will be going to those people and being them tweeting bullshit about like he's like he's really ahead, like they're putting a positive spin on what they want. But then on the left, people will be positive, putting a positive spin on that. So I think Twitter is going to be a fucking hellhole dumpster fire. Um, but I can never look away. And I think that'll add to my anxiety, even though there'll probably be positive stuff too just to look at. But I think that'll be one of the things that we shouldn't do, but I, I will be doing. Oof, that was good. That was a good descriptor. I like feel that in my shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, what about you? What are, besides drinking, what are the things that are going to add to your anxiety? <laughs> I think I'll probably do the same thing, but a little bit different. Kirk is convinced at this point that I'm a secret Trump voter because <laughs> I frequently go on conservative oh, yeah. subreddits, and I will probably do that too. Wait, and I'm thinking on that one. I think that uh, the thing about like, I mean, you go on Twitter and 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 you look at the blue checkmark people on both sides, and you know it's obviously going to be insane for some of them. But there's still a certain measure of PR that they have to do. If you go into a conservative subreddit and you drill down into the comments, especially on a post that's early before the mods get to it, you see some truly insane things being said. And you don't know if it's somebody who's just trolling because they think they're hilarious or they're they're true believers of whatever insane, horrible bullshit they believe. But you see some fucking nuclear grade hot takes and it's just crazy. And you spend 30 minutes there and you start thinking, you know what? Trump's going to win. Like there's no way he doesn't win because because he has the true believers on his side. It's very unhealthy, but I keep doing it for some reason. (laughs) I agree. Yeah, that is definitely a place that I know I will be spending a lot of my time and I don't want to be. But they're going to be like this county and this county. I heard this from this voter. And then you're like, that voter is every voter. It's happening. There's a blue. There's a there's a what is Trump calling it now? The red wave because to attack the blue wave, he's got the red fucking tsunami or some shit. What the fuck is that? Is Trump getting his period? Like, what the fuck? So annoying. Yeah. Erica, for you. What are you going to do that's going to add to your anxiety? Um, I'm probably going to start shit on Facebook. Like, 
I'm just, I'm literally in everyone's comments. Like, you know, earlier this week after um, Walter Wallace was shot, I literally went the fuck off. Like, I'd say like 10 people blocked me, which is fine. I deserved it because I told them that uh, their beliefs are completely based out of their racist ideologies and desires to stay the dominant race. But um, I'm going to do that shit literally all day. I'm considering taking off (laughs) Tuesday and Wednesday so that I can be dramatic and tell people that they're responsible for the demise of our country. And really what's going to cause the anxiety is the, you know, the way that people respond and fight back. And despite me pulling facts out of facts, out of facts, you're going to be like, oh, well, MAGA. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely going to be starting some fights that I have no responsibility or no need to start. But here I am. I might for the first time on Facebook or on Instagram go live (laughs) to start some shit. Okay. I don't know. When I get back into a corner, I just start stirring the pot. I think it's like a Libra thing, or maybe it's just a petty bitch thing. But that will definitely not help with my anxiety. So, so follow Erica, <laughs> everyone. If you want to, if you should Luton Facebook. I've been, I've been active this week. I've been real. I've been spicy. She's been spicy, and if you want to, you know. <laughs> throw your anxiety off of a cliff follow erica because it'll do it <laughs> so i guess on that same token you know we all know right that like all of the things we're saying are ridiculous we all know that we're gonna do them because that's what this podcast is it is a self-sabotaging group of young millennials who do things that aren't healthy for them uh but we do it because it satisfies or amplifies our anxiety. So uh, it helps us to be reflective because it helps us prepare (laughs) with or without therapists. Um, But Erica, what is your advice to other people to either stay calm or to control themselves or to, you know, take things with a grain of salt? Like what are, what advice are you giving to yourself and hope that other people take? For me specifically, you know, I'm I'm speaking as a black woman. I just keep telling myself that like our people are still around to this day in greater numbers, despite all of the terrible things that this country has done to us. And um, for the first time in a very long time, it is a popular opinion that we deserve something. Um, it, and I truly don't think that this country is willing to you know, accept the mistreatment, the abuse, the oppression. And that I, I really think that if Trump ends up winning, I think there will be um, some uniting force among us where we're like, you know what, like, this is real. We cannot just keep hoping and doing the bare minimum, like there has to be action behind it. So if, I think if he wins again, it'll show people that like racism will keep winning if we keep letting it. Um, and if it loses, it's, if he loses, it's going to be great because it's like, okay, like, let's get this started. Um, and let's start moving on. So either way, I think I'm, I'm hopeful for the state of this country in the sense that there are millions of people who truly do care, who truly are 
about that action. Um, and that no matter what happens, like change is no longer within the office of the president. It's within the hands of the people. And there's 320 something million of us and only one president, right? And there's only so many people um, within our Senate and our House of Representatives, and they really are representatives of the people. So I just keep telling myself, like, it's in our hands, like it is in the people's hands. That is what this country is for. And that is what our constitution that Trump literally wipes his ass with after he tweets some actual bullshit every day is meant to use. So <laughs> That's it. Like, that's it. Right. Like, and that's why a lot of people still want to move here, even with a Donald Trump president, is that like Americans do have this ideology that the people are in control or can be in control one day. Like I loved what Sabrina said on the last podcast about, you know, um, getting money out of politics so we can vote for policies, not politicians. Like, who are they beholden to? Like, that's why a lot of people come here because they believe that that's possible. And I hope that this election doesn't jade us, right? Like in that way. But Andrew, what about you? What's your advice to other people? Um, you know, you're so wise and, and sage on your <laughs> conservative subreddits. You know, I, I don't feel I'm, I'm very qualified to tell people how to alleviate their anxiety because, you know, I, I'm playing life on easy mode and I'm I'm a straight white male. And if he gets elected, in a lot of ways, it's really not going to affect me that much in, in the ways that it affects Erica or you and Kirk. And I fully recognize that. And I'm still going to feel anxious about it because there's a lot of things that I really do care about. Um, but I don't want to tell somebody like Erica or the rest of you, like how to alleviate your anxiety. Um, and I think that's what's given me the most anxiety is it's, I feel like it's out of my control and it's, it's something that I can't really, you know, I can cast my vote and I can tell people to vote and I can donate. But at the end of the day, I, I do feel bad about the fact that in a lot of ways, the system is for me. I haven't really come to a point where I've been able to figure out how to be okay with that or figure out how to work around that. I think that that's really important. And that reminds me of like what Garrett said when he was on our podcast too. Like I'm a straight white man who makes a good amount of money. I benefit a lot of times from, you know, Republican presidents. Um, and I think that that's really important to recognize that like, in your mind, it's like, I'm not qualified to give that advice to other people. All I can say is I'm doing everything I can to help you, you know, like that you can't stand in our shoes. I feel like if that's an indication that you learned from what happened this summer or learned from what happened through the last four years, like to me, that's it. That shows like a hundred percent empathy growth, you know, compared to where any of us were probably in 2016. I like that. Beyond that, I'm going to just drink a lot of water on Wednesday and probably just play Xbox. <laughs> Take my mind off of it. Not go on to Reddit on Wednesday. That'll be my rule. No Reddit on Wednesday. And Kirk, what about you? Like, what's your advice to other people who are feeling particularly anxious um, or just advice on how to get through the day? Yeah, I think, you know, back to kind of the things I said before we were talking about our anxieties um, would be getting focus on the Senate races What that Paul mentioned, I think would be super important to um, chill you out a bit, hopefully, unless they go the other way, then I'm sorry that we said that. 
sometimes when I get in arguments with people that are opposing views that I have or a Trump supporter or just someone who might not completely agree with me being a Democrat is we'll talk about the 2016 election and I will say, you know, Hillary, I mean, if you want to talk about the country and everyone's vote mattering, Hillary really won. And, you know, Joe's really going to win. So at the end of the day, we know that going into this. And I know that's like a consolation prize if he actually loses, but I think it should show some hope that there are more people that are wanting change. Um, at the end of the day, even if it's something that we don't get this time around either, I think it's kind of a combination of what Andrew and Erica said. You know, there's all these people that should be willing to want to really motivate themselves if Trump does win and um, really make a change. I know we, we've been, for the past four years, I think we've all kind of said we've all had more of a political awakening. Hopefully that continues to heighten if this were to happen. And I hope it happens for every single person that voted for Joe Biden if he loses, because that's the majority of the country. Um, you can't spin that any other way. Like it is the majority of the country. So that gives me some hope sometimes. It has for the past four years when I think about 3 million more people voted for Hillary. And that's a lot of people when it comes to our country. So I think that should be kind of a glimmer of hope for the future, regardless of the outcome. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's like easy to blame the electoral college in these moments. It's it's easy to be like, oh, my God, you know, and feel like everything is ending. But the reality is, is people are progressing in the right way. Our system might not be. But slowly but surely, we are building towards the future that we all believe in. It's a very different future than than they believe in. But it is, I think, a really important recognition that things are trying to move in the right direction, even if our system wasn't set up that way. And I think that if Joe Biden loses, if we lose the Senate, like if we keep the House, like we should still be grateful in some ways, you know. Um, of course, we'll be crushed. But like, I, I do still think that we can look at it as Joe Biden's going to win the popular vote. Joe Biden's going to win the popular vote by more yeah. than Hillary Clinton did. I think we're so sure of that. Um, and that should be treated as a as an indication that maybe sometime in the future and that might not help you. So the other thing that I would say, if you are feeling anxious today, you've already voted, you've already felt like you've done your part. Um, there are going to be people who show up to the polls today and get rejected, or there are going to be people who go up to the polls today that want to turn away. You know, a couple things that you can do today, you can volunteer for the election protection hotline, you can volunteer to protect elections, you can volunteer to show up in line with donuts, with bagels, with pizza, with drinks, you can show up there with blankets and chairs, like you can go and make people feel more comfortable, you know, and by talking to voters, by engaging with them, you can, you know, enjoy their anxiety. You can laugh with each other. You can want it to all be over. But those are things that you can do to keep people in line and show that decency and humanity still exist. So my advice to you is if you're feeling anxious, volunteer for a phone bank that is trying to help people cure ballots. There are going to be a bunch of people that have mistakes and it's going to be on volunteers to call those people and tell them that they can fix them. If you're worried about people leaving the line, go there and show up and give them a reason not to. Like Erica said, you know, like show up with some music and just have people dance, do a line dance while people are waiting in line. Like anything to keep people going because it could be cold. It could be rainy. It could be, you know, 
unbearingly hot, you know, like there's a lot of things that can go wrong. There's a hurricane fucking hitting, you know, the the south right now. All of those things like are things that can deter people from voting. So make sure that you do your part to know you can still drag out the vote even today. There's still phone banks. There's still text banking. There's we just need every single Democrat to show up. So we're going to take a quick break. And then we'll be right back to close out this episode. All right, everyone, and welcome back. This is our final recording segment. This is the final, final, final thing that we will say about the election voting process that's happening right now. Um, And I think it's important to end on somewhat of a positive note, um, a hopeful note, because there is a lot of hope. There are a lot of people trying and there's a lot of people worried, but there are a lot of people doing more than they've ever done. I think all four of us are evidence of that. So um, let's dream a little bit. Let's say that we do get what we want. So Biden wins. The Senate flips. We keep the House. All of these things run in our favor. And now Democrats have total control to work on climate, to work on racial justice, to work on queer rights, to work on health care, to change the way that the Supreme Court exists. We can start instituting these things that take us to an America that we feel proud to live in. Because I think a lot of us haven't felt proud for four years and may not have felt proud for even before that. So we have those things that go our way. We're feeling optimistic about policy. And doesn't that feel good just to like sit there and think about that for a little while? Doesn't that feel normal? Doesn't that feel like, oh my God, we can accomplish so much? The one thing though, that Trump and the Republicans, his family members, they're still going to be in power for two more months. From November to January, two, two and a half months, these people will still be in the White House. They'll still be making news every day. They will still be challenging things in the Supreme Court. They will be maybe worse than they've ever been. (laughs) So Erica, I'll start with you. If we get what we want, what do you think Trump and the Republicans do? I think we can expect a lot of executive orders. I think that our stimulus checks are going to be something that they will actively hold. And they will say that it is because of Nancy Pelosi and the rest of the Dems that you guys are not getting this money that we've by the way, held for, you know, five months at this point. So I think that they're going to be incredibly stubborn about some things. And then they're just going to go ahead and punch the gas for a lot of other things. Um, You know, we still have a lot of Supreme Court cases that are going to be seen. And I think that, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of incredibly conservative results that will ultimately hurt a lot of people like us. Um, and people who don't even have the privileges that we have now. So um, I think it's going to be quite a disaster. The news cycle is going to be something different. And I think that uh, Isaac will be incredibly busy uh, covering a 24-hour news cycle on steroids. Totally agree. Um, Andrew, what about you? 
Yeah, I agree with all of the above. I feel like it's going to be insane. Um, Every single month you think that we've reached just maximum, maximum news cycle, maximum bullshit, maximum politics. And every single month, every single week, sometimes every single day, it just ratchets up to a new level. And there doesn't seem to be any limit that exists to this. And I think as soon as we get past the election, um, Trump and his team and the right wing as a whole have been doing so much work to sow doubt about the legitimacy of this election, but just the legitimacy of democratic elections as a whole. Um, So I I feel like any outcome that's not in his favor, they're going to try to spin it in in one way or another that it was illegitimate and the lawsuits are going to start. And, you know, that's the whole reason that they got Amy Coney Barrett in there. I mean, obviously for ACA and abortion and all of that, but the immediate need was to protect Trump in the the case that the election didn't go as planned and now they have a conservative Supreme Court, they can start challenging these things. And I, I think there's just going to be a wave of litigation surrounding the election. Yeah, I agree. I think just from, you know, what's going to happen with the Supreme Court cases that are already scheduled, plus any new ones that happens. I mean, we have Fulton versus the city of Philadelphia, which is about gay adoption. We have the Affordable Care Act, you know, the week after that. Like, all of these things are very much still live and still in play. And that's their legacy, right? Is making a more conservative America. So they're not going to stop. Kirk, what about you? This was your question you added to the podcast. What do you think Trump is going to do? I think... I, when I was thinking about this earlier, I was like, I, in my head, it was like, there's this way and that way. And I think there's like many a way he could go for these two and a half months of like, uh, probably vengeful. I think he's been vengeful a lot. I think he's either going to continue for those two and a half months to say he didn't actually lose and to keep figuring out how he can not, how it can be that he didn't lose. But if it gets to a point where he accepts that, um, he already talks about the country as Republican places and Democrat places. Um, therefore, if he loses, then there's proof that there's more Democrat places and he doesn't care about those places. Right. So I think he'll continue to, you know, who's going to be vengeful to a country that didn't want him or the parts of the country that didn't want him. Um, I think that's one. I think to Erica's point, I think it's really, really smart um, thought too was about the holding the stimulus checks because he doesn't want to help us because we didn't, you know, give him his four more years. I think another thing is, you know, Biden's already going to be accepting a monstrous economic mess, no matter what happens from now to then, which is not going to get better. I think what he's probably going to do is make it worse because he wants to set that up for failure. He wants, you know, to be as much of a mess as possible for them to inherit. So it's harder for them to get, have the Democrats to get out of it. So he can say he did it quicker when he was president, because that's all he's going to talk about for the rest of his life now is comparing himself to how bet much better he was to the presidents now after him because it's always been the presidents before him so now it's going to be those after him and people already think he doesn't care about what he says but i think it's going to be really like off the hinge ridiculous things um part of me thinks he might just leave november 4th <laughs> or whatever day we find out that it's actually not him um that it's not going to happen but i i wonder if he'll just be like fuck it now i don't care not my problem not my chair not my problem i think it go a bunch of different ways but i think it'll be a very interesting america for a few months um 
it's like a no control America. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. I mean, isn't that it, right? Like it has right. been in some ways a no control America. He's been running a re-election campaign since January 2016. So it's like he won't have that anymore for two and a half months. So what is he doing? That's. I think that's exactly it. I mean, the Trump that we're seeing is one that cares about getting reelected. But this week he's doubling down. COVID isn't real. We're not going to be able to control this. This is the way that the world needs to work. We got this justice. It's such a big win. I love winning. He said he won't pass a health care bill. He won't show a health care bill until he's reelected. He said no stimulus checks will come until he's reelected, until after the election is over, is the direct quote. But that we know what that means. What incentive does a president who's on his way out have to pass a stimulus check to save health care? What incentive does that person have at all to do anything for people who he feels in his deluded mind that betrayed him? Like, that's what this is. Like, Nancy Pelosi probably... The day afterwards, if she can vote on a stimulus check that gives us all $200 is probably her right strategy. And then just promise to do more when Joe Biden takes office because people are going to need something. I mean, we got those checks in April, March. We can't go another year almost without them. Many of us can on this call, but so many people can't. I just think that president that we'll see, like you said, we've, we've called him a divider in chief, but he has nobody left to unite after he's out of the office. Honestly, I don't even know if it matters if it's a landslide or not a landslide. I think he's going to contest the election yeah. one way or the other. But he'll, th- claim, he'll, claim, is- he'll claim fraud. He'll claim fraud. Yeah, he'll, he'll think claim until fraud January. and he'll start the litigation. He'll claim fraud. Yeah. Yeah. Until, yeah, until he dies. Immediately. immediately. That's a good point, guys. That man. <laughs> that's a good point. And I think the other thing that's going to happen is he is going to shift his focus entirely to saving himself because as soon as he is out of office, when he actually leaves office, there's another wave of litigation that's coming to him. He no longer has the protection of Bill Barr. He no longer has the protection of the office. And he is going to be completely exposed and open to the wolves, which are coming for him. And it's not just the American justice system. There's that enormous mountain of debt that he owes to who the fuck knows who that are going to come after him for the debt and are going to come after him for all of his legal transgressions. And he needs to save himself from that. You know, at this point, I'm not even entirely convinced that he wants to be reelected for any reason other than he buys himself another four years of safety where he can figure out what to do about all of this. He's in a really bad spot. And I think we need to recognize that. Like, and that is why, you know, we see him campaigning and rallying, you know, multiple rallies per day. He's going everywhere. He's working harder than he's ever worked as the president. And it's honestly kind of impressive to see him go because, you know, he's, he is, he's literally fighting for his life at this point. If the stories are to be believed about his finances and everything else, he could very well be legitimately utterly broke when he leaves office and those debts come due. Isn't that so ridiculous? Yeah. It's insane that we have a U.S. president in that position. Who's totally compromised. I hope, I mean... Maybe it's because the four of us have put every single amount of energy that we have into this. Like, 
maybe because we feel like we've drained our wallets for this stuff that we have protested for this stuff that we've been screaming for four years. The fact that, you know, three people in my life who don't know each other at all came together for a podcast and, you know, we're at hour four of recording. (laughs) Like we've done everything that we can. He will, like you all said, he will contest this. He will scream about it because his thing is winning and his legacy is winning. And He still talks about how badly he beat Hillary Clinton. He still lies and says it was the best electoral beat in the history of presidential elections. This is a man whose reputation is staked on winning. So him losing, he's not going anywhere. His kids aren't going anywhere. They will just shift, you know. I promise that after all this election stuff is over, I will drive to D.C. with you guys and we will watch his helicopter fly away. I will absolutely do that with all of you with an American flag in my hand and another one up my ass. Like, (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) This is it, right? Like, this is it. Like, I just... You heard that, everyone. Go vote. (laughs) We want to see that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> how big will the oh flag be <laughs> so, <laughs> that depends on the electoral margin um but so seriously <laughs> i just i'm so grateful to you guys for doing this series the friendship and the camaraderie that we've been able to create that people have hopefully listened to and enjoyed and laughed at us laugh at each other i hope is pretty enjoyable um this is so fun to do this with you guys. It brings me sanity in a time where I feel like the world has no sanity to be able to find a way to deal with this pandemic and protest for things that we believe in and share things that we believe in and be totally unapologetic about it. You know, for all of us, if you were to take the barometer of politics of how engaged we were, you know, four years ago, how engaged the people that listen to this um, are, you know, we'd be a zero and we are like fully at 125 right now, you know, and I think that we should all be proud of that. I think that we have all left it out on the field. And I think that that just, you know, if you're listening to this today, you're standing in the lines and you downloaded this podcast to listen to this, like keep fighting, you know, like just keep going. Um, we've worked so hard and I'm so grateful for everybody who has joined us on this journey. I cannot believe that this is our last episode before the election, but here we are. So Kirk, Erica, Andrew, thank you guys so much for joining. Thank you. Love you. Thank you. Hopefully we win. And if we don't, the next episode will be really good (laughs) or really bad. Yeah. Or really bad. I'm going to go buck next episode. No, it'll be good. It'll be good. I think we have to have hope. Good energy going into this. I know we're six days out, but people listening to this are hours Mm -hmm. out. So let's manage our fears. Let's manage our anxiety. Let's not unpack anything that happens on election night because we won't be able to draw many conclusions from any of it. But um, this has been another episode of Let's Unpack That. Thank you guys so much. We will hopefully talk to you with different news next week.